0: How you doing? Good. How are you, Don? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. I uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is gonna be a, a fun one. Uh, so I've been meaning to have you on for a while. Right. Our schedules has not have not uh, meshed, as no, it were. No. But uh, here we are. Christmas break.
1: Yeah. Christmas break. <laughs> You want to talk about Christmas break some more? I don't remember. Well, it's because it's a Christmas break in terms of like a school schedule. I still have a whole nother week off and we're in that kind of, I don't know what day it is. Period. Yeah. I don't go to work. You're such a a slacker.
0: You didn't work all summer either. I don't know what the hell you're thinking.
1: No, I didn't. Slacker.
0: Um, But uh, I thought it was important to have you on right now because you have a solo show coming up.
1: Yes, my first ever solo show. Oh, it is. I didn't even think about that. I literally I've never performed. I mean, I did like small things in junior high school or I did a talent show once, um uh, played piano. Um but in terms of my adult musical career, this this will be the first time I've ever been on stage alone uh ever. Ever. Wow. Yeah. And with such a uh in such a naked context because the acoustic guitar is an incredibly unforgiving instrument. Right. And even with reverb or a slight delay pedal, there's, it's pretty unforgiving. But something I've always wanted to do because uh, I was always really, thought it was really cool that someone like Michael Girard would would go off and do solo shows and play swan songs. Yeah, Yeah. And do originals and, you know, he was able to sort of tour in between that. And so I was interested in that but yes it is the first time so I have no idea how it's gonna go or how I'm gonna feel or right anything like that
0: well you did experiment a little bit with it um, with a few videos that you posted on Facebook yeah a while back yeah And the response to that was really great
1: yeah I was surprised uh, and it was it was a really spontaneous thing because uh, it was also over Christmas break uh, I guess now It was 2016 because it was shortly after Aglock broke up. And I was at my in-laws and my father-in-law plays guitar and he mm-hmm. has an acoustic guitar. Cause I don't I recently just bought an acoustic guitar. I okay. never owned one. And they had a fireplace and I was like, "Oh, it's Christmas, maybe I'll uh, we'll do like a Facebook live." Mhm. And I wanted it to be like a, you know, Facebook live video as opposed to like a pre-recorded thing so that way it's more Uh, just sincere or whatever, but I thought, you know, because I, I mean, I'm still, you know, have a lot of different emotions about the breakup. And uh, I thought Christmas seemed like a good time to sort of uh, do it and, you know, for people, for the fans. Yeah. And that's really the only reason I did it was kind of a, I mean, not to be self-congratulatory, but a kind of gift to the fans. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. sorry I broke up. Uh, Here's the best I can do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a pittance. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I just my wife had the smartphone running and I was I was blown away by the the commentary that popped up and how often it was shared. Mm-hmm. And so it was a nice it was a very kind of, it was kind of emotional. I was really uh happy. and I did it again the next year became a kind of tradition. So I've done it three times. Um those little Facebook vids and then you asked me to I had also kicked around the idea of doing a kind of solo Aglock and maybe throw in uh, Sol Invictus song or write some mm-hmm. new stuff, but for now I I got a full set of Agalok songs, so right. That's what this is.
0: Yeah, that that will be exciting. It's the only way you can hear Agalok live at this point. Yeah, is that show?
1: At least, yeah, live, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the songs are different because they're revealing different parts of themselves to me as I've reduced them to a sure. single guitar. And I've had to make up for the lack of, well, not just every instrument, but vocals. Um, right. And Agalog songs, as you might remember. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar
0: with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they
1: can, they're often repetitive. We were definitely a band yeah. where the whole was greater than the parts. Yes. And so that was a challenge about how many times do I really want to repeat that. And so... So that's been, it itch- also trying to make it more interesting as a solo instrument. So there's some things I've done that are totally different, um, total new variations mm-hmm. and, you know, some things that are pretty true to form. Um, so it'll be interesting and you know, I'll play a song later. Yeah.
0: I don't want you to give away the set list or anything, but no. are you playing things from like the entire Agaloc discography? Or is there like a certain period you're focusing on?
1: Um, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty wide ranging. Um, There are some obvious ones that people could guess. Right. There will be the ones I did on Facebook. Um, And I think there's maybe a couple odd ones. Um, There's some songs that I just could not really reduce to a single acoustic. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for example, I really wanted to do Falling Snow, but it really didn't lend itself to that. Um, But a lot of other songs that were, of course, heavy metal um, opened up when I reduce them to you know, uh, open acoustic chords and, right. and trying to incorporate the melody along with the chord progression whenever I could. So, so I, I think it'll be interesting the, the, how different the songs are and the ones that I've chosen to, uh, to use. Yeah,
0: that'll be great. Um, and the, the space is going to be perfect for it, I think. Very small, intimate space. Uh, really good sound. A lot of people come there just because they want to support the space and the people that run it. And uh, I think it'll be a perfect place for you to do this for the first time.
1: Yeah. And I really miss that intimate connection and Mm -hmm. um, especially with the music of Aglock, which was a very emotional kind of music. Um, That's really, that to me is the appeal is to kind of sit down and and be surrounded by people hopefully who want to hear it and, and sharing the moment that... Um, we used to share on a much more louder level, right? Um, on tour.
0: Yeah, it's very odd for me to interview you about Agaloc.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: the, it's a we're recontextualizing the whole thing. It's very strange.
1: Yeah, well, it's entered into, uh, you know, it's entered into archive and memory. Mm-hmm. So now it becomes a kind of an objective experience. Yeah, as opposed to an immediate right in the now one yeah um so and i don't know i I don't know how i'm going to feel it might be really emotional for me i haven't played these songs in front of people right uh i mean not even really the facebook video but yeah i I don't know how i'll probably there'll be i don't know how i'm going to feel
0: yeah well i anticipate feeling emotional as well watching you up there play these songs that we used to play together
1: right and, yeah, and you won't be involved. <laughs> and I won't be. I mean, I'll be there, <laughs> right. but I won't be playing anything. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be no, I think that'll be weird, too. And, of course, uh, I wonder how everyone else will think.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited <laughs> for it, though. I am, too. And, really, I think, um, not to pat myself on the back, uh-huh. but the lineup is perfect, too. Uh, you right. with Mike Scheidt from Yob, Errol Ruin, and Henry Veins. I think yeah. it's... It's going to be a perfect night of, uh, what did you call it? Sad men music or something? Uh,
1: sad man acoustic jam. There you go.
0: Yeah. Right. Almost like Tesla, but a little bit different.
1: Well, I thought we would maybe end with a performance of signs. Signs. Yeah, that makes minor sense. In a
0: <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that's going to be great. And that's coming up uh, January 26th at Azoth in Portland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope to see you there.
1: I'll, I'll be there. Okay. Sad.
0: <laughs> Sad. <laughs> crying into your guitar. All right. Well, um, let's move into the main segment, as they say. And uh, I think you should play something first.
1: All right. Okay. All right. You ready?
0: I'm ready. Uh, immediately I think 90s I think Greek
1: oh, I could I could hear the Greek
0: it's not ringing any bells so far
1: <laughs> no this is a weird band they have a kind of there's a bit of that Greek but also very power
2: classic.
0: Okay, that's not what I expected.
2: And the threw it into the unknown in fear. He chattered his horrors, him to his face. Across the Mournock wall for a hundred.
0: Do I know this band?
1: I you might, I can't remember.
0: Wow, I don't yeah. It makes me think of Godsend. Yeah. But it's not obviously.
1: No. <laughs> the vocals aren't as good.
0: Yeah. So what what made you bring this song?
1: Well, this was an album, um, and I brought it because I I I couldn't remember if you were familiar with the CD because it was a CD John uh, introduced me to, and he was into it. Although we both agreed the vocals were a little yeah, but he uh, he lent it to me. I think I dubbed it, and I listened to it constantly, all the time driving. To school and back, and it just really catchy and it really stuck with me. And at some point, the vocals became I kind of started to really like them, right? But like in the chorus, he tries to do that kind of I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, the very 15th century, yeah, <laughs> it's almost like over, really yeah. over, uh-huh. you know. That type of stuff,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, But it was something John was way into, and...
0: So this is like mid, late 90s?
1: Early 90s, and then they disappeared, and it would be like two records. I think this is the first record. Um, They are Finnish. Okay. They don't really sound like it. Not really. Um, Although the, the promo photo of them, they look very like a Finnish fan.
0: Yeah, the vocals are pretty dreadful. (laughs) And gang vocals too, wow.
1: It's weird because it has a classic metal feel. It does. But it's definitely part of that early 90s kind of atmospheric scene. Yeah. So how
0: does it live up 20 years later?
1: I I still dig the the feel and the riffs. The vocals are still dreadful, but But I think when I was listening to it, I, I you know part of our whole thing back then, and even still today was find something really esoteric and obscure that no one else knows and that you yeah. can sort of claim as their own. And this was a record that I was like, even in the scene, no one really knew this band. No one celebrated them. No one, I never see them posted in my social media or I never see anything.
0: I remember a few bands around that time like that, like Visceral Evisceration. Yeah.
1: Even, But some people I've seen post Visceral Evisceration. Oh, really? but not often, but No. yeah, that's a great band, you should listen to that later. That's also got a weird classic metal Iron Maiden sound, but yeah. also these weird operatic vocals.
0: Yeah, I played them on one of the episodes okay. already.
1: Yeah, one of my, I love that, I love that album, Incessant Desire for Palpable Flesh.
0: Yeah, I played um, Knee Deep in Blood I Weighed.
1: That's a great song. Yeah.
0: Doesn't it knee deep in menstrual blood? Anyway? I believe you're right. Yes, uh, that
1: was one of those weird bands worse. that were
0: like super melodic and
1: yeah, emotional, like the but then
0: really guttural vocals, and the the lyrics didn't really match the music
1: or the cover. I remember cover. that was yeah. that was one of the first promos I got when I started my fanzine in 1990, late '94, early '95, and one of the first record labels to trust me that I would put out an issue was Napalm Records, America. Yeah. And they sent me that promo.
0: Dismal Euphony, probably.
1: Yeah, I don't think I got Dismal Euphony, but I don't know what else I got. From Abigor. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was the um, uh, Verustung. Right. Um, which was also great. Um, those two records, it was Abigor, Verustung, Visceral Evisceration, and you know, this was at the time when that was all I had to listen to because it was pre-internet, and so I spent a lot of time at 14 years old in my bedroom listening to Abagor and Visualizer.
0: Well, you could do a lot worse, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: those are both great records.
0: Okay, so, yeah, I'm at a loss. I have no idea what that no, is. No, I wasn't
1: sure. It's not Vinden's grot
0: Yes, okay. You do. Do you know the name? I know the name. Um, I remember being interested by them because of their locale and their name. Right. I'm, I don't remember if I ever actually heard them or if I listened to it and was just turned off and moved on.
1: Well, now that you've heard them, are you interested?
0: Um, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. I mean, I like seeing little snippets in time like that. Yeah. From 20-some years ago, you know? Yeah. It reminds <clears throat> me of just like what you're saying, like where I was in life and... Mm-hmm grasp onto a record and listen to it to death. And now I feel like there's such a glut of music yes. that it's, if I listen to an album more than a couple of times, it's mm-hmm. a huge deal.
1: Mm-hmm. And this record, um, in this band, like the band name is so forgettable. I mean, I'm not right. Finnish, so I don't know. But as an English speaking person, not Grot, I can't even spell it. I had to no. look it up in metal archives, like alphabetically. Right. Because I couldn't find it on YouTube and even the covers like really weird and obscure and Mm -hmm. it just seemed like something like i was the only person listening to it yeah you know probably next to john right
0: (laughs) it kind of reminds me of uh d verboten's kinder evas yeah like how it's just you're not going to remember that i mean i did obviously but there's no there's nothing to grasp onto yeah and the music was nothing of note and
1: So, if you're listening, it was not Vinden's Grot. The album's A Bard's Tale. It's a concept album.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was interesting. I would maybe revisit.
1: Listen to it once.
0: Okay. I mean, (laughs) Finland. Can't go wrong with Finland most of the time. No. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, So. Kinda. (laughs) Okay, so I'm gonna play something. All right. But to be honest, I can't remember the name of the song. (laughs) So I'm gonna play what I think it is, and if it's wrong, I'm just gonna switch it.
1: I know your eclectic taste. I don't know what, you know. I wouldn't be surprised at anything.
0: I'll
1: take that as a compliment.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's one of those songs where I'm like, I wonder what the vocals are like. Yeah. <laughs> it has wonderful atmosphere. It sounds like GARM.
0: You're right. I never thought about that. It does. So
1: it's not GARM. It's not GARM. No, when you said I was right, I thought I'd...
0: No, 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 no. I mean, it, you're right. It sounds like GARM. I love how lightly they're playing in these like verse sections.
1: Yeah. That's definitely one thing modern metal doesn't have.
0: No. Um, Not at all.
1: I think about the amount of time I'm, the amount of attention I pay my volume knob on the guitar when we play. Oh, with yeah. Either with Agaloc or Karada. the amount of pressure I apply,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can't get that if everything's triggered and...
0: and compressed to shit. And
1: compressed, and yeah. the gain is 100,
0: mm-hmm. you know? That's what really strikes me about this song, is the, the subtlety.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's really something that's been with the history of music forever, I mean, that's... You go see an orchestra or a pianist, they play light and they play hard. Yes, yeah. The conductor, that's why there's, you know, uh, indications of levels of volume and things. And so much of the mixing of heavy metal has been about pushing things to the extreme, and you, you lack that texture.
0: Yeah, everything's compressed and limited and triggered. Everything sounds even. It's very boring.
1: Yeah. And that was the thing that I think struck me about this song initially.
0: This song? Mm hmm. Yeah. Even the tones. Yeah. Just the guitar is slightly overdriven.
1: Like right there, I don't know what the guitarist is doing, but. Like that would be me playing like my volume knob on a five, right? And then when the main riff comes in, the heavier riff, I pull it back up to up, Yeah.
0: This record is from 2016.
1: Okay, that's why I don't know it. Yeah. Well,
0: it's also, uh, without giving too many hints on what this is, um, it's a band that we both have struggled to appreciate for many years. Oh, it's the Melvins. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, this is a great Melvin song. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. I can hear that now.
0: My story with this band is basically struggling to appreciate them for right. almost my entire life. Right, yeah, me too. With limited success. Yeah. And then I went and saw them with Napalm Death and Melt Banana. When was that? Oh, man. Probably about 2016, 2015, something like that. They played Roseland. Okay. So, a really big show. And, you know, Napalm, Melt Banana, love both bands and i was i I'd, I'd never seen the melvins before so i was like this is my chance to really see this band like quote unquote how they're supposed to be seen and they're an awesome live band you can't deny that they're really good at what they do you know they they know their instruments they know their style and then about halfway through the show they played that song and it was just so enormous the sound was so enormous the melody was so gorgeous and they had that subtlety and finesse mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it won me over mm-hmm. and now i can't claim to be like the biggest melvins fan mm-hmm. but that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back mm-hmm. and i was like okay i got to check this out
1: mm-hmm. so
0: i bought this record what's the record this is called bases loaded but it's bases like bass guitar because each song has a different bass player on it Mm, okay. So I remember yeah,
1: hearing about that.
0: Yeah, so Trevor Dunn's on some of it. Um,
1: Do you know who's on this
0: song? I don't. I could look it up. Um, but there's like maybe three or four players on the on the entire record. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it made me go back and explore like Stoner Witch and Houdini and things like that. And again, it's not like blowing me away, but I'm definitely appreciating them way more than I used to. And yeah. that was my jumping off point.
2: Mm,
1: I, I, I like that song a lot. And uh, finesse always wins me over. Um, I feel like there's a lot of, again, like we were talking about earlier with modern metal, there's not as much emphasis in modern metal on things like uh, vibrato or playing very lightly or Mm -hmm. those kind of dynamics. And when I was giving guitar lessons uh, over the summer, it's one of the things I tried to convey to my students that all the tone you need and all the Effects you need is in your hands right and second to that would be your toggle switch and your volume knob and that has to be mastered before you go out and buy any kind of stomp box or whatever yeah. because there's so much you can extract from the way you shape a note with your hand and your finger and the way you pick it and sometimes you might use your finger I put my pick in my mouth and I'll use a, my finger on a couple melodies on the Krata set mm-hmm. it's subtle but those are the kind of things you pick up on that make it more than just another kind of uh, you know, heavily processed. Where everything's yeah. at the same volume. Yeah. And yeah, that that's I can I'm not surprised that the Melvins, because uh, they're from that era. Mm-hmm. I mean, and like
0: I said earlier, like say what you will about the Melvins, it might not be you know someone's cup of tea, but they're obviously masters of their craft.
2: Yeah yeah look,
1: I'm, the, I'm the type of I'm the type of uh, what, uh music appreciator who I'm gonna assume because a band like the Melvins is so revered and respected there's something there I just haven't i know it's right. my fault right a lot of times. and
0: that's exactly and that's why I've tried for so many years yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said I'm not hundred percent there but yeah. I'm seeing them live and that that song just like was well, the that's switch great. for me.
1: I will have to get what was the name of the song?
0: The Decay of Lying. It's the first track on Bases Loaded.
1: On Bases Loaded. Alright, well I'm gonna go listen to that record.
0: Yeah, and actually I ended up finding it on Amazon like right after that show. it was like ten dollars for the mm. for the record. So hmm Yeah. Can't oh, lose. well that's
1: great. Yeah, that was a great choice.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a band I'm embarrassed not to have more of an appreciation for, but Oh yeah.
0: Especially since we make most of them, like, drive our tour buses and stuff. Well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we've had two former Melvin's bass players be our driver for Agalock.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, Billy's been recording Agalok forever. Yeah. And Karate. and doing sound for Karada.
1: Yeah, I, and, and just the pressure of people I love and respect are huge fans of the Melvins yeah and I feel like what's wrong with me
0: yeah I know me too
1: and I'm and I think more people should appreciate should approach art generally with that attitude of like okay it's it's me it's not the work right I'm not able to find a way into it Um, but my love of finesse I don't know a better word um, is my doorway into that particular song
0: Mm -hmm. and that was that was true for me as well yeah and it was remarkable, too, after seeing um, bands like uh, Napalm, Death, and Melt Banana, who have finesse in their own way, but not in that type of way. <laughs> so to hear a song like that after yeah. Melt Banana and Napalm was striking.
1: Yeah, and I think that like, when I started when I began the guitar lessons, I started, getting, I started revisiting a lot of the blues players mm-hmm. that I listened to as a kid when I was learning guitar. People like Steve Ray Vaughan and Robert Cray and Albert Collins. B.B. King, um, because that's all that is, is right. finesse with yeah. very few notes Yeah, a lot of the time. No, it's true. Well, now for a band with no finesse. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love those two. Um, but another another band that I think they did two records and disappeared. There's a theme. I like it. Decoria. <laughs> is it really? No. Oh. But I think thematically would also be appropriate.
0: This is Legenda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I played, um, Yeah, I played one of the songs on, on a Remain podcast, but I can't remember which one I played. Is this off of Autumnal?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this record is fantastic.
1: Yeah. this The second one is also good. Yes, it is. Um, but this record, because you recall the whole thing, is it, it had such incredible promise because... I mean... Yeah, yeah the I keyboard. Mean, it, that, it's yeah. great Yeah I mean I don't know you, you know the story But All of us Were big fans of Impaled Nazareth. Of course And Even stuff like Ugra Karma Oh yeah. Compton, Resorts. But when it came to uh Suome Phelan uh, Perkele There was those weird songs Right Oh yeah That were like Oddly emotional And melodic And Passionate Blood is thicker than water Yep and seemed slightly at odds with everything else. And, well, I can't remember the guy's name.
0: Which one? The drummer. The drummer?
1: It was the drummer of Anaphaled Nazemun who's writing those, those songs, like, Blood is Thicker Than Water. Okay, yeah. And so he started his own band called Agenda, and they signed with Holy Records. Mm-hmm. And I think all three of us, you and I and John, were stoked because oh it's going to be a record of all those songs from impaled nazarene and it totally was yeah and better actually i thought and like this song is almost there's a post-punk goth rock like this riff
0: yeah yeah Agaloc totally would have ripped this off if we would have thought of
1: it. It's like perfect. I don't know how to place it, but it's like. And then there's kind of vocals that were like. Oh, yeah. Very much like Impaled Nazarene. Mm-hmm. So. This was another record I just wore out. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, i adore this record. I remember the second one being good, right. but not as good. No. And this is another one of those bands, like you said, like, I've never heard about this band ever since. No. When I played it for Ramin, he was instantly blown away and he had never heard of it. And he tracked it down, I think, and got the CD afterwards
1: yeah it's 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 I don't know what happened to the guy, the drummer of impel Nazarene and that's it like it's almost a pop song it's mm-hmm. three and a half minutes long I mean it could be a uh i don't know it's a kind of goth rock post punk yeah, but with that really uh sort of spitty Scratchy, yeah. Yeah, I love you the know, vocals. Does he even bother pronouncing the words? I th- or could I just make this finish.
0: I, I, I could be wrong, but I thought it was the vocalist for Impaled.
1: No, no, no. That guy was a crazy alcoholic nutjob. Yeah, but
0: I thought that was him.
1: The drummer was the heart of the band. He was crazy. the Neil Pert of Impaled. Peart. <laughs> 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 Those words have never been uttered. <laughs> But well, there you go. No, he was he wrote those those more I don't know how to call them more passionate melodic tunes on um Because oh, well, after he left, because he left after Suome for the Kele. Right. And then when they then they did LaTeX cult, which was mm-hmm. total motorhead and right. none of us cared for it anymore.
0: It's good. But it doesn't speak to me the same way. No, not at all. It's uh Yeah, I don't know. This track uh, is called Wolves, Honey, Wolves, which I always thought was a cool title. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's somebody saying, no, I swear, honey, there were
1: wolves. (laughs) No, it's wolves. (laughs) Honey. Wolves.
0: Like if you're mad at your spouse? (laughs) It's
1: like, is those coyotes? No. Wolves, wolves, honey. honey. Wolves. (laughs) (laughs) That's so weird. I I I don't know. I thought when I think when I saw it as a teenager, I was like thinking there's some weird erotic connotation of right. honey and wolf like wolf like Wolverine like feeling, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But because it would fit with the whole thing. But it's uh, it would be cheesy if he didn't do those kind of vocals. Right. He could totally do some super gothy Peter Murphy. Oof. Or, yeah. And it would be terrible. Yeah, I
0: would not be into that.
1: But he,
0: st- yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, the title reminds me slightly of Beharit's "Werewolf Semen and Blood." Oh. Also vague. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it
0: werewolf, comma semen, <laughs> and blood, or is it werewolf semen? So everything has had a finish. Well,
2: so that's far. true, well, except well, the Melvins. Melvin's. But,
0: but I bet they've been there.
1: I'm sure they've been there. Yeah. But um, Beherit, another another band.
0: Yes. Um, I thought about playing Beherit tonight, but... Uh,
1: I'm not cold. I wouldn't be cold enough to identify if I heard it. When I first saw Beherit, I was in... Not, like, live, but, like, in seventh grade, it was the Turbo America ad that was a Metal Maniacs. And do
2: you oh, remember these ads? Yeah, I, I think could, so.
1: totally throwaway death black metal bands. Right. Made. But I remember the cover of... What was the first record called? Oath of the Black Blood. Oath of the Black Blood. And I was like, my God, they put so many upside down crosses on yeah, the cover. Yeah, a ton. And that cover still is, I think, is one of the coolest it is. black metal uh, album covers. But I remember just staring at me like, could they have, I mean, that's... Yeah, It's just littered with upside down crosses. and the logo was absurd. Like, I'd seen the Death logo and the Morbid Angel logo by then, but right. I was like, that's a, that's a really... Just the, the, everything in the kitchen sink.
0: Yeah. And then their second record, Drawing Down the Moon, is up there for me as one of my absolute favorite records. It's that one's wholly unique. I mean, there's nothing else that sounds like it. It's black metal, but in a very cursory type of way. So I am going to play a record that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around, but it's from one of my favorite composers. Mm. I just came out. I've loved pretty much everything this guy has touched. And this, I think, will probably be my, my album of the year, even though there's been a lot of good music this year, but this just really grabs me. So let's check it out.
1: This is this year? Yeah, just came
0: out. The thing I love about this guy is that he's got a lot of different projects and a lot of different bands and really the only thing that is a thread between them it, is his vocals everything else it's just a stark difference from release to release
1: so is the is the composer the is he playing one of these two instruments yes the guitar yes Toby Driver? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know this because you have such a crush on the guy.
0: Yeah, I do. This is his new record called They Are the Shield.
1: Right. I really only know Toby's work from K.O. Dot mm-hmm. and Modern in the Well, right?
0: Right. Yeah. And K.O. Dot's one of my absolute favorites. He he released um, a solo record like two years ago called Madonna Horror that was really great, but it was all very uh, reverbed out, guitar-oriented pop, and this he just took it to the next level. Like, this stuff is so different and fascinating.
1: Do you know the name? Yeah,
0: I don't. I know um, the singer on this song is Bridget from Piggy Black Cross, mm-hmm. one of his other bands. Um, I know that he just got off a six-week tour throughout yeah. the Europe and the I Middle East, that. and uh, Timba Harris from Secret Chiefs and Stratosphere was playing with with him on that tour. So I would assume he's on this record, but I'm not sure.
1: Mm. What label does this come out on?
0: This was on Blood Music. Okay. that Bridget's only on this song, but I, I really love her voice.
1: Yeah, some people like Toby Driver intimidate me because they've set such a high bar for prolific yeah. output and I mean you're 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 more prolific than I am. Yeah. You're you know you're quite prolific and I think when I was a young teenager I had aspirations to be someone like um, Toby Driver um, and then I just found myself having to divide time between academia and music
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I think I've, I've struck a, a good balance I mean most people are from both sides of those worlds seem surprised I managed to do both right, right? but yeah, I'm quite envious of people who are managed to sort of make a life completely of music. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's... Toby does some things here and there, but he is a basically a full-time musician. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, his quality has never wavered. It's always been A-plus for me. I know other people don't like certain Dot records as much as the others. Um, Actually, my least favorite thing he's done is the model of the well stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's just been getting better and better, um, but you know, I mean, that's that's just what he does. He focuses on it. That's his his thing, which is really impressive.
1: That was a really great example of uh, just beautiful instrumentation with that organ and the guitar, the violin, mm-hmm. um, and I believe there was some synth. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just is such a wonderful example of. I mean, orchestration may be too big of a word, but just the, the arrangements of those of those instruments there were, was was wonderfully balanced. I think you could hear each instrument mm-hmm. throughout, and none seemed to dominate over the. Right. Um, Even the vocals seemed um, to be part of a group as opposed to, like, a lead. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, and that's what I really love about Toby's work is, you know, he definitely has a lot of help from people, but, you know, he's the main composer, he's the arranger. Like, that's... And once you get to know his material as much as I do, you can... He has a certain style, and you can recognize that style. Like, just with, like, your playing, like, I can recognize... You know, a Don Anderson solo, I can recognize a Toby Driver song just from the way it's put together. And it's so simple but complex in a way, kind of like Mr. Bungle's California, where it's easy to hum along and it's easy to like catch the different hooks, but underneath there's a lot of weirdness going on. And that's what I love about Toby's work. And yeah,
1: yeah. And I wonder, you know, if he's going to fall in the footsteps of like. Uh, someone like Sufjan Stevens and start doing yeah, I would love that. Uh, orchestral Yeah, music.
0: Uh, Sufjan's one of my f- absolute favorites, too.
1: Yeah, and he's, you know, I was at uh, New York City Ballet and they premiered a uh, Sufian Stevens piece. alongside. Oh, really? Yeah, alongside Philip Glass and Steve Damn. Reich. Damn. Yeah. Wow. And it was with the ballet. <clears throat> and he's, he, you know, and I like his work a lot, too. I, I think his classical work tends to ape you know, uh, Steve Reich a lot. Who Sufjan? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, he's um, if you listen to the early Sufjan stuff, sure. there's a lot of
1: Reich stuff in there. You can totally hear it. Yeah. Um, but like with Toby, I'd be curious what he would do. I mean, that's also one of my long-term dreams is to write for uh, a classical ensemble mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah. Whether it's a string quartet or something.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't know his goals or anything, but uh, I could definitely see him. Yeah. Doing something like that. That's great. Um, yeah it's fantastic and uh, I know that sometimes his stuff really flies under the radar because it is so strange you know even K.O. Dot it's just it's hard for people to
2: yeah it is it's very dense to swallow
1: yeah so um, we should hang out more and and, and share music (laughs) (laughs) we used to do this all the time when you lived with me and we were always uh, listening to new stuff but sometimes I just feel as we're in our older age and things Mm -hmm. and um, and I think also the way the new media is working, it's, it should be easier to share things, but there's, there's something very different about, you know, I had like the visceral evisceration, like I have the CD and it's nowhere else to be found. Right. I'm the only one with it, you know, within a hundred plus mile radius or whatever. You should come over and listen to it. Everything has become so much more disposable. Yeah. Because it's so much more accessible. Right. Um, well, yeah. I
0: mean, that was part of the impetus for this podcast. Is you know, like you and I used to do this every
1: day. Oh yeah, well, for right. years. And certainly, we had the freedom of being young and feckless and right without direction. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, this it's much like putting on a record. Mm-hmm. You're forced yeah. to sit yeah. here yeah. and listen to something.
1: I know. I know. And I mean, it's a it's a it's a resistant it's a form of resistance now to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I do activities with my students. Well, where we'll focus on doing something. I I once had them unwrap a Hershey's kiss and take their time and just to experience what it's like to uh, feel the Hershey kiss and hear the wrapping make sound and Mm -hmm. look at the shape and then maybe smell it. And we took two minutes to unwrap and eat a Hershey's kiss. It was part of a a reading we did on like mindfulness and contemporary. (laughs) You know, the the sort of information overload. And I think even Christine, my wife, and I, we've been buying a lot of classical music on record because it's so cheap because no one bothers to buy it. Right. And one of our activities is to do just that, sit on the couch and Mm -hmm. just listen. And, you know, we did that recently with Mahler's First Symphony. And, like, this is a long-ass symphony, so we're just going to sit and listen to it the way we would watch a movie. And it's challenging.
2: It
0: is. But it's, I think... Maybe for somebody like my kids, it might not be as rewarding, but Aaron and I do a similar thing, you know, and, uh, it can be immensely rewarding to just sit and be and focus on one thing. Things are richer. Richer.
1: Yeah. There's so much more richness to it. Uh, uh, reading, um, I just reread, uh, a novel I'd read a number of times and I reread it. This this break, um, and if you're only focusing on that one paragraph, so much more comes out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mhm. So.
0: Yeah, I think really the only time I get to do that if I don't force myself to do it is when I'm commuting with earbuds. Oh yeah. And even then, I've got distractions from people Mm -hmm. on the train Mm -hmm. or you know whatever, whatever may be around me. Um, But I mean that's that's my favorite thing about having a record player. If it wasn't yeah. for the ritual of it and forcing you to focus on that one record, yeah, I don't think I would care about it as much. But it,
1: yeah, that's. I truly, I think it's an act of resistance. It's not how everyone else is listening to music. I mean, the grand scheme of my students don't listen to records. No, you know, uh, I think that's a very still very niche thing. I'm glad that records are back, but you know, they're not listening to music that way.
0: No, and most people don't listen to albums.
1: Oh, that's know. the other crazy thing it's <laughs> singles like when i when I, I have an assignment they do where they have to write a review like the genre of a review and i like, oh you could do a film review uh or an album review and they're like a what right i'm like you know like pink floyd's the wall or something <laughs> no no <laughs> and they don't know they just know the singles
0: yeah well yeah. uh ioni has been Deeply into the Ramones for a few months now. Yeah. And she's been exploring them.
1: Yeah, I've seen that on her Facebook.
0: Yeah, only through Spotify because mm-hmm. that's what she has access mm-hmm. to. And, but it's funny because she just goes to Ramones radio or goes to like the top hits and listens to them. So I've been pulling out the records and, you know, I'll say, like, oh, here's Rocket to Russia. Listen to this. And uh, the other night we watched Rock and Roll High School together again. And she's like, I don't, I don't know this song. I want you around. Like, I don't know this song. It's not on the Spotify top plays. Right. Like, well, you need to start listening to the records. And she didn't know that she could do that on Spotify. She didn't know she could go oh, to the album and listen even, to it. She yeah. just wasn't on her radar that she could even right. do it. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: Because there's a lot of great uh, bands who some of their best songs are buried in their records and are not showing up on... Right. Spotify.
0: Oh, and for me, it's context, you know? I mean, Ramones aren't, like, the biggest, like, conceptual band in the world or anything, no. but even the context for me is important, you yeah. know?
1: Well, there's uh, a reason those songs are in that order. I mean, look at both Thaglock and Krada, We've obsessed over album Yeah. song order and Yeah. what it means to premiere a song, which is also, I mean, it's not a new thing in the grand scheme of popular music. You always had a single, but it's painful to try to come up with a song to premiere... Oh, yeah. And we've always done it wrong. We've always done the wrong song, I think.
0: I'm not sure there ever is a right song.
1: That's true. Well, no, there is. I think with the, when we did "Marrow of the Spirit, we premiered in, the, in North America, we premiered Watch, The Watcher's Monolith, which, right. which I think is the weakest song on "Marrow of the Spirit. It is. In Europe, they premiered Ghost of the Moon or Fires, which I would say is in my top five best Agalog songs ever.
0: Yeah, and I guess I would argue if Painted Gray was shorter, it would be the perfect one to debut.
1: Yeah, I don't know. it's too many blasts. Yeah, but that's
0: kind of great, too.
1: But <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's yeah.
0: one of the best Agaloc songs, I think.
1: It is. It was a great live song. And I think with the, the serpent and the sphere, I always say spear even to this day. <laughs> we released a celestial effigy which i think is a lot like watches monolith yeah. i think it was the weakest song yeah it was but dark matter gods again i think was that like, to me if i had to do a ramones mania agalock mania record right those those are the songs that i think best represent who we are like if people want to hear Agalock, i always recommend uh Hallways of Enchant, ebony mm-hmm. shadow of pill companion uh ninth of waves um uh, Ghost Moth Winter Fires and Dark Matter Gods. Yeah, I think that has everything we did perfectly represented.
0: I think Dark Matter Gods is, yeah, probably one of the better songs we'd written in quite some time at that point.
1: Yeah, and it was a mess. I remember we had a map it was in a the total it was mess. a huge mess. Now in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. And it was also one of those songs I thought was a great live song. And I'm, it's, it's oh yeah, know,
0: it was great live.
1: It, and I'm kind of sad we can't play it more. <laughs> Because it lasted only a couple of years.
0: Yeah, we can't play it at all, really. Um, no,
1: I c- I couldn't make it work as an acoustic song.
0: No. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's interesting to look back on that stuff when in, number one, it doesn't really matter anymore. There's nothing at stake. You know, uh, like w- yeah. what 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 would be like a great live song that Agalock never played that would be f- you know fun to try.
1: Uh, well, you know as well as I do. Before we broke up, we were. We were preparing The Wilderness from the demo. Even though The Wilderness, um, because, I mean, you knew John even before I did, but when I met him while you were still in the Midwest, he was way into uh, sort of what's been called the new wave of Swedish heavy metal, the Gothenburg, the Gothenburg sound. Right. And that song totally is aping. Oh, yeah. Dark Tranquility
0: and Flames, all that.
1: I I don't think John found a sound for Aglock until he did Embers.
0: No, embers was the perfect yeah. aglock sound.
1: And then I think when it became, uh, when it evolved to what's on pale folklore, and then eventually what we started doing live because it kept changing. Then it was like mm-hmm. that—that's the beginning of the sound. It was like I think that demo from which of the soak was John exploring, you know, the doom, the Gothenburg, the Ulver, yeah. And then I think eventually we we found the sound with Promo ninety eight. It just yeah fields that- of Nephilim
0: and and it was so much more advanced mm-hmm. um one because he had more musicians than just himself but uh also I mean the production just all the way around is way better on Promo 98 so yeah. and yeah. you
2: know well, yeah
0: the the wilderness is a great song but yeah. it did suffer from it just being John
1: yeah you know? well okay so um a funny sort of tidbit i think you know cuz i think i've told you cuz i was there uh when they when Recording from much of the soak? Right. Because so I just did guest guitar solos. I didn't play any any rhythm parts or anything. I just did. I think three solos. Mm-hmm. But he and I were becoming really good friends, and so I would hang out the whole time, and I I witnessed the entirety of it. And I had just gone through a, a whole trial by fire with Necropolis, my first band, with learning how to record a record. You know, whether you do a click track, right, or you play live, mm-hmm. and I had done too many records without a click track. Yeah. And because I was playing techie things, it was really important to have a click track. But no one I could play with could play with a click at the time. And so I watched John record a reference guitar track completely freeform for that entire demo. And then he recorded the drums on top of that.
0: Right. Which is very strange.
1: Well, it's very bad yeah <laughs> a, and w- the funny thing is, is we were so early in our relationship that i didn't feel like i had any authority to be like yeah you know hey this ain't how you do it right um because i was like he because you know he also struck me as someone who like kind of knew what he was doing and he had his he had his what he wanted to do and i didn't really want to put my nose in there but i had just got done like learning this really difficult lesson uh with necropolis and the first sculptured which is also not without it not with a click and uh i I saw him doing it and i'm just like oh fuck yeah (laughs) and that's why it's so wonky you know a lot of
0: hiccups in there
1: yeah you know i i I, yeah i think wilderness is a great song i think it's a cool demo but
0: yeah i mean i i I think it's a great demo, and when he first sent it to me, I was very impressed. Yeah. Um, Obviously, some recording issues. Drums are kind of hiccupy here and there. Uh, This old cabin is probably way too long, but um, overall, it was striking.
1: Yeah. Do you want to play a bit? Sure. Is the the wilderness up?
0: It's got to be on YouTube, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Because also uh, the whole the whole story was is that me and John met through a common friend um, named Stevo, who headed a, a kind of industrial um, Godflesh band called Landfill. And so this was '96; the demo came out '97. You hear the hesitation. Yeah. It, yeah. But like you hear the riffs, and you're like. Yeah. Total early draft tranquility you can totally hear. Oh yeah. It. This is totally right off Sky Dancer or something. Mm-hmm. That. I remember (laughs) that weird fill. But this part too, I remember listening to this and being like, oh, this is the kind of music I want to do. Right. And this kind of war metal beat.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, when John recorded this, he and I had made music together here and there. But we're living really far away from each other. And I always loved what John did. And yeah. I always wanted to be a part of what John did. And then when he sent me this, I was like, oh, like aside from the timing issues and stuff, he knocked it out of the park. Like this was yeah, by great far song. the best thing that he's done at that point. And so I got excited. You know, I was like, this is really, really amazing. And this was around the same time that you did the first Sculpture record. Yeah. And I started talking to you right before you recorded the, the record right after the first demo and so hearing this demo and hearing the sculpture demo is like there's a hell of a lot of good shit going on in portland right now
1: it just but just from two just guys. from two people <laughs> and i know because there's no one else
0: that's what i found out when i came out here i was like oh there's nothing else i mean there's a couple like black metal bands but maybe one or two
1: now not the european style not like not like this no no Nothing
0: like this. He
1: actually sounds young.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell a difference.
1: You know, it's like listening to old Metallica and you're like how James Tedfield sounds really young.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: was
1: uh, this, uh, what's that?
2: This
0: was recorded at Smegma, right?
1: Yes, yeah, Smegma Studios, yeah. So M- Mike
0: wasn't like, hey, maybe we should do like a click or anything like that. He's just. No, because he's Mike
1: Lastra. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you heard Smegma? He probably doesn't know what a click <laughs> no. is. Um, And he was hands off completely. Yeah. No, he was totally hands off.
0: Well, we did give Stoneman and Pillar EP yeah. there, and I remember him being very hands off then, too.
1: And it, he didn't know anything about this kind of music. He He's. He didn't record not this type of metal bands. No. But he did like Tad and shit, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if yeah, I can't remember. I mean he did he did punk, he did some hardcore, he did a lot of noise, a lot of Yeah. I feel like he did like a
0: Nirvana seven inch or something like that. Probably at one point two. Yeah.
1: Okay, so like this chorus is a great example of John's writing, is that it's very catchy. Mm-hmm. And pop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, very poppy at times.
1: And I remember before Aglock, well, a few years before Aglock broke up, I remember John saying he wanted to write more black, like, more vicious stuff. Right. And he was always concerned that we were too, you know... Too light. Too Too light, or the sort of sexist term of girlfriend metal. Right. Which a lot of time... (laughs) We well, would meet someone and then like, oh my, you know, my girlfriend's a big fan. I'm just here because I gave her a ride to the show. Right, but yeah, I'm more
0: into blasphemy.
1: But, yeah, uh, and and he would he would he would we wrote marrow with that intent, and but then he would come up with really sweet poppy melodies. Well,
0: he's he's a great songwriter, and a lot of that has to do with his catchy melodies that he comes up with. Right. I remember before I recorded Faustian too, he, he kind of pitched it to me and he was like, I really want to do just an EP that's just vicious black metal. And so he wrote that first riff.
1: Yeah, but then I wrote the rest You're, of you it. You wrote the rest of it, yeah. And so all the black metal riffs are mine, and a lot, of, a lot of a lot more black metal riffs than Mero were mine too, but then he would write these melodies over it. Right. All right. Ah, oh, it's a rough guitar song. I just totally improvised it. That sounds like
0: Don Anderson. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, because he... So the way it worked is... Here's how I got into Aglock. Like, I think you know the story, but... Uh, I was hanging out with Steve at a landfill rehearsal. And... It was the second time I met John. He came to the rehearsal. And Steve was like wanted me to start shredding to show up John I was <laughs> like you should shred, play really fast play really fast yeah. so I, I kind of did that and then I think I might be making this up but I think it was partly due to Arcturus and John was oh, like yeah. oh it would be cool to have that kind of guitar work um, on the demo so I think that's why he asked me to do guest guitar solos so yeah, I just I went in and I didn't even, I don't think I even, I even heard the songs and I just improvised them mm-hmm. off the cuff, which, I mean, there's some okay licks in that solo, but this is, uh, yeah. did you, did you do like a dive bomb when you were I did, there? I did. I was, I had a whammy bar at the time and a Floyd Rose. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. I think I was, I was still, I never could do that. I, there's one other time in another band where I tried to do a dive bomb. It's just not who I am. I can't, I don't
0: for some reason I never noticed it until that listen yeah I did a diet bomb I mean it's kind of subtle but it's well because oh. I don't know how to do it right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's um, that's interesting but this is a good song and I wish we had managed to play it live because I think we could have done it better ultimately oh yeah, um, yeah. as a band because yeah this is old John aside from the guitar solo. this is old John and uh, yeah I think it would have been really cool yeah
0: no it's it's, it's great um, we talked about it for years. Uh, we talked about doing that epics tour. Yeah. Where we would only play songs over a certain amount of time, like 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So we were thinking like this and Shadow, um, Black Lake. hmm. Although that, that would pose a whole host of problems. Yeah, yeah, there
1: was talk. There was a lot of talk. I mean, there was talk about doing the mantle in its entirety uh-huh. and things like this. Yeah. Wow. Interesting.
0: Well, I think um, I think before we call it a night, I'm gonna play w- one more song. Okay. Just to kind of tie in the whole night here.
1: Is it a pessimist song?
0: I considered doing that. <laughs> I considered playing a pessimist song and an yeah. uncomposing song. I've got, I've got demos of John, you know, at 12 playing songs about toilets and stuff, but
1: I'm not going to do it. Out of respect, I agree. Yep. I, I think it's probably, we should keep that to ourselves. Yes. But for everybody listening, yeah. they're very good. What the, what were you doing at 13? Right. You weren't doing Nocturnus, Voivod.
0: Bathory, Worship. No. I mean, <laughs> say what you will about John, but everything he's ever done has been Exceptional. Everything that I have, uh, um, music wise, <laughs> uh, up until a couple of years ago. <laughs> anyway, I'm not here to bash John, but let's check this out. No.
1: Oh, it's Windham Hell.
0: Yeah. Good old Wyndham Hell.
1: Another band? Uh, I recently. There was someone on my Facebook feed who posted South Facing Epitaph. And I couldn't help myself. I was like, oh, wow. You know, these yeah. guys are from my state. And. We used to be really close with both of those guys. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, another tidbit is we borrowed their bass guitar. Oh, yeah, I saw that. For much of this. Yeah. Yeah, amazing band. Um, How many records total did they end up doing three full lengths? I think they did three, and they did a. But they had. They released three on
0: Moribund, but they had like nine done.
1: And there was a seven inch that Michael. um, Right. To the layout for the split with you,
0: yeah. The first nothing was nothing in Windham Hall Split. We had a very, very close relationship with these guys,
1: yeah. More people should know them, they're amazing.
0: But many years ago, uh, Eric died, yeah. he passed away. Right. Um, I haven't heard from Leland in years,
1: no. Um, I'd love to see all this stuff repressed. Someone like oh, Blood Music. Yeah. Get the rights to all the records and repress them. Yeah. Because listening to them now, you know, I first said Old Lady Drivers. Right. Because there's some kind of electronic tone to the guitar. And then briefly I was thinking, because there's some weird nocturnist track I'm not familiar with. Yeah. So there's plenty of references. Mm hmm. That guitar work. Yeah. It's just insane. I mean, it's shreddy, but it's it, it, so it, beautiful. It seamlessly fits with the weird atmospheric. And was Eric into black metal or any of that kind of stuff? Somewhat. was he just a, a neoclassical I mean, shredder? He
0: was basically a neoclassical shredder, but he was into metal. He wasn't really into black metal stuff, but he was into metal stuff.
1: Was Leland?
0: Yeah, but very cursory way.
1: That's just so weird. They're on a label like they were on a label like Memorial.
0: Yeah, just locale, I think you know they yeah. got in touch with Odin somehow, and
1: because they're from Snoqualmie. Yeah, The home of the pancake mix. <laughs> yes, but uh, uh, Snoqualmie Falls pancake mix is very good. Yeah, I used to eat them all the time, but uh, Twin Peaks, obviously. Right. right.
0: Well, and arguably could be like the first Cascadian band.
1: Oh, not arguably. There's no argument made, they are.
0: I remember A South Facing Epitaph was the very first record I was ever thanked in. And when that came out, I was stoked to see my name in print on a CD. Mm. Back when people did things like thanks lists.
1: Right. And, and when people got excited for being on them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or for being excited about a CD. <laughs> And actually, the track four on this record—this record is reflective depths in divide. In yeah, yeah. Track four is called "Eolacremation" mm. because the band that John and I had together before Agalock formed, yeah. was called uh, Eolacrem. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote Wyndham Hell's bio back in the day. I haven't listened to this in so long.
1: Yeah, Not that, you know. I mean, rough. It's not the greatest guitar tone there on the riffs. No, but like, was, I mean, yeah, I could hear Nocturnus and a lot of that stuff in it, but, but no one else sounded not in 1992, 93. No, no. This band went against so many norms at the time. So grunge was big when this band came out. Like no yeah. one, no one was doing this kind of guitar with them. you were you were ostracized if you did anything like that
0: especially so close to seattle
1: <laughs> yeah and going against like no black metal people who were listening to moribund bands like what black funeral uh or some other blood ritual uh it was a bunch yeah. of other local yeah. bands uh, total black metal Infester. yeah they weren't they didn't want to hear guitar solos like that
0: no Yeah, a lot of memories with this stuff. All right. So let's uh, fade out this Wyndham Hell. And let's uh, have you play us out with a song.
1: Which uh, you wanted
0: to hear. You you want to play a song for us? Yeah, I can play a song. Okay. This will be a First. In here,
1: uh, yeah. This is first time I played this. I because this isn't didn't make it in the. Uh, this was not a Facebook video or anything. All
0: right. So another thing I I typically do is a little what do you drink in podcast not podcast uh segment so right now we are drinking the beautiful resilience ipa yes from level beer it's a 7.3 percent
1: yeah respectable abv
0: Re- it's very respectable level is one of our favorite <laughs> breweries here in portland oregon
1: and what's special about this beer is that the proceeds go to the uh um california campfire yeah
0: yeah it's an unfortunate name
1: right because campfires campfires are great right but (laughs) um so it's uh it's a recipe by sierra nevada that was distributed to uh cooperating i guess yeah yeah Um, so level made it but
0: yeah this is Um, this is a great one so uh yeah let's let's hear something from you don Thank you, Don.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Let's do it again.